In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, congratulations. You just stood and listened through the longest gospel reading in history. <laughs> so good job. Foster said I should just say um, that nothing more needs to be said and sit down and let you off the hook, but I'm not going <clears> to. <throat> so in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now I don't think that it is any coincidence that the authors of the second verse of our holy scripture mention the one thing that is essential to all life. Water. Water covers about 71% of Earth's surface, and this transparent, tasteless, odorless, and nearly colorless substance is the main constituent of Earth's hydrosphere and the fluids of all known living organisms. It is the substance out of which we are born and upon which all life forms depend. But more than just life itself depends upon this chemical formula made up of one oxygen atom and two hydrogen atoms. Our economy is also heavily dependent upon water. Approximately 70% of all fresh water that is used by humans goes toward agriculture or is used by fishers, fishermen, fisher people. Companies transfer important commodities overseas, rivers, lakes, and canals. Large quantities of water, ice, and steam are used for cooling and heating in industry and in our homes. Water is a solvent for a wide variety of substances. And water, ice, and snow are central to many sports and other forms of entertainment. So given all of this, it is no surprise that throughout history, civilizations have flourished around rivers and major waterways, and that water has become a major symbol within religion. Think about all of the water stories in our holy scriptures alone. Our baptismal service sums it up nicely. Over, over water, the Holy Spirit moved in the beginning of creation, through it, God led the children of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt into the land of promise. In it, Jesus received the baptism of John and was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Messiah, the Christ. In it, in our baptisms, we are buried with Christ in his death. By it, we share in his resurrection. Through it, we are reborn by the Holy Spirit. Water is a symbol of our death and resurrection here on earth, a symbol of the tomb of Christ and the womb waters of rebirth. Water is absolutely and completely essential, both physically and spiritually. It is the main ingredient of our earthly life lived outwardly in our bodies and the sacramental sign of the inward and spiritual transformation of our souls in Christ. It is no wonder then that Jesus uses water to reveal himself 
his true identity as the Messiah, the Son of God, to a woman, a Samaritan woman, an outsider, who is just as spiritually thirsty as you and me are. In his longest dialogue recorded in the New Testament, Jesus makes the claim that he, his way of self-giving love and forgiveness and understanding and compassion, all that he is, is just as essential for us, for our inward souls, as water is for our outward bodies. But you know, probably as much as I know, that staying both physically and spiritually hydrated can be quite the challenge. I have a horrible time getting in enough water every day to remain adequately hydrated. I've tried all sorts of things. I got that huge water bottle that didn't fit anywhere in my life. I got the water bottle that had the times down the side. That didn't work. I've tried liquid IV. I don't like it. But despite all of my efforts and despite knowing that it is so important, every day I find myself drinking coffee instead of water effectively dehydrating myself more, and then I wonder why I end up with a headache. I am therefore perpetually physically thirsty, and the same could be said for my soul. Rather than engaging in activities that would quench the thirst of my soul, I find myself filling my time and my life with worrying or watching TV, scrolling through social media or Amazon, striving to be productive and busy, or any number of other things which keep my outward body and therefore my inward soul engaged with the things of this world and not with the things of God. So it is not surprising then that I find myself spiritually thirsty, sitting tired by a well with Jesus, bucketless, and therefore unable to draw from the living water that Jesus promises. But thankfully, this is not the end of my story, and it is not the end of yours. Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman today gives us a glimpse of how we can draw from and bathe ourselves in and infuse ourselves with the living water of Jesus that will quench that deep thirst, that deep longing that we have for God within our souls, and then transform our souls so that the springs of this living water gush up from us and pull us more fully into eternal and abundant life with God and with God's people. Among other things, Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman is a reminder that this living water of Jesus is something we encounter when we are in reconciled relationships with one another, including with those who are entirely and completely other, those with whom we might not normally associate. This Samaritan woman was a double other to Jesus. Not only was she a woman, and therefore, Jesus should not have really been talking to her, especially alone. But she was also a Samaritan, a foreigner, and a religious other. Jews and Samaritans were hostile toward one another. So much so that one scholar writes that the Samaritan woman, 
quote, represents all the boundaries that must not be transgressed in the religious life, all the spiritual taboos that must not be broken. And yet this tired and thirsty Jesus transgresses and breaks them all. And in so doing, in breaking through these boundaries, he offers living water to this Samaritan woman in the form of being fully seen and accepted and understood and invited into deeper relationship. And it transforms her. This woman becomes, as theologian Debbie Thomas points out, the first believer in any of the Gospels to become an evangelist and bring her entire city to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Relationships are one of the buckets that we can use to draw the living water of Jesus up from the wells of existence and make it manifest here in this world. We must only be vulnerable just as Jesus and this Samaritan woman once were. We must be vulnerable and break with what the world would have us do, break with the norm, break with the status quo, transgress the boundaries, turn off our TVs every now and again, breathe through our worries, take a break from doom scrolling, and let ourselves see and encounter truly encounter with our souls and our hearts and our minds and our bodies those in our lives who we would classify as other. Perhaps the person who looks different than you or me, the person who loves differently or identifies differently, someone who has more or less resources, someone who holds a different set of political or religious beliefs. Because it, it, is, it is in forging these relationships, it is in forging these reconciling relationships, that we feel seen, that we can feel understood and accepted, and that the other can feel seen and accepted and understood. When we do this, when we engage in forging these relationships, that is when we can take those deep and long sips of the living water. It is in our cultivations of these relationships that the, that the living water of Christ courses through our bodies and our hearts and our minds, quenching every thirst we have for deeper connection with the other and with God. And it is when we begin to see how the spring of the living water, the water of love and compassion and understanding and forgiveness and grace, that living water, gushes up from our souls and pulls us more fully into eternal and abundant relationship with God and with one another. So come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. For we have been giving the living water and we will never be thirsty. Amen. Amen.